Well, welcome into the At The Yard podcast. I'm excited to kick off our fall podcast season here with CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygod. Commissioner Wygod, I know you're incredibly busy this time of year, and I just want to say thanks, firstly, for uh, making some time to come on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Les. Always good to be with you and uh, talking high school sports, so I enjoy uh, the opportunity. Uh, absolutely. Before we get too far into this, you know, I, I I was obviously at the CIF baseball championships this past spring and, you know, tip of the cap to you and your team, uh, you know, Tom, everybody involved there uh, for putting on just an awesome championship, you know, looking back on it now, I mean, you've had a few months to kind of reflect on that, that actual championship series uh, or sequences. What, uh, you know, what, what, what were some of the things you take away from that experience? Take away a lot. And I appreciate your kind words about it. We obviously, uh, we're so disappointed that in the 2020 season that we had to cancel our championships. And, you know, that was a devastating blow to our student athletes first and, and really everybody involved in high school athletics. So as the school year started in 2020, 2021, and we were still shut down, it was a, it was a very dark time. So the ability for us to uh, get the chance to have championships and really finish the school year last year, much better than we started was, was truly important. And, and as you know, baseball has a, has a big, huge spot in my heart with all the years that I put into it. And the last events that we had were our baseball and softball championships. And the very last event that I was at was that final Division I baseball championship at Cal State Fullerton. And I walked out of there about 1130 that night after the game was over and thought to myself, wow, you know, we were really able to, to get something done. And, and certainly I was very proud of that. You touched on it a little bit there, you know, having to cancel the season, obviously, the reactions were varied, right? From you guys are doing a bad thing to you're doing the right thing and everywhere in between. You know, what What? What did you guys, you've had some time now again to reflect on that. And, you know, what do you, what do you take away? What did you guys learn? I mean, for me personally, I love that you guys had a plan. Uh, you kind of stuck to your plan. You modified it when needed, um, but you you never wavered. And I think, you know, to me, that's obviously a sign of, of quality leadership, but you know, what do you take away from that, you know, and, and, and how does that make the CIF Southern section and its member organizations better? I think what we learned is that we can do this and, and follow whatever protocols we need to follow. It just give us the opportunity. And that was the frustrating thing for us is that it was not our decision that was holding up the ability to play high school athletics. It was others that made those decisions. And so for us, we were continuing to advocate for the opportunity because once we got the opportunity, I always believed, and I think we proved we can do this. If they need us to, to follow a testing protocol, we'll follow it. If we have to have capacity limits for events, then we'll follow those. If you have to have mask wearing mandates and guidelines involved with mask wearing, we can, we can handle that as well. I just, I had great faith in our member schools, our professional educators that we would handle it the right way and do it the right way. And so we did learn a lot. And I think that's why we're able to continue now. We're still not out of this pandemic. We still know there are, are serious issues involved, but I think we proved that we can conduct our programs in a healthy and safe way and uh, build upon what we learned last spring when we had, if you can believe it, we had 19 sports uh, that had championship events between May 21st and June 19th, over a hundred divisional championships were crowned in that four week period. So we figured if we could get through that, uh, we could certainly get through what, what's facing us now going forward. And 
I really want to give credit to our member schools for all the tremendous work that they did to, to make that happen. And our staff here, our team here is second to none and, and really was, was incredibly uh, dedicated and, and motivated to make this happen because we all had one thing in common. We wanted to keep student athletes first. How can we come through? How can we deliver? How can we make this happen for our student athletes? And so I, I am very glad that we were able to do it. Well, just from the, you know, an outsider's perspective and just looking in, I mean, you touched on it there, the, the thanks, the kudos that you gave to the member institutions. I think the leadership from top to bottom to be able to execute the, like you said, the 19 championships in the varying sports there in what a, a month's time frame. Uh, I mean, that takes a lot of, you know, communication work and, and dedication from everybody, right? It does. And, and I'm really, really pr- pleased and proud of the way our schools approach this situation because we all knew what it meant that, that, the strain on the facilities. How are we going to get all the games in? How are the coaches going to be able to coach multiple sports? How are the student athletes going to be able to play multiple sports? How are you going to deal with allowing fans in to watch or not allowed to watch? I mean, there were so many aspects of this. You know, we had these examples where where baseball players were playing a baseball game at three o'clock and then going out and playing football the same night. Things that had never happened before, a a girl playing soccer in the afternoon and then out at the basketball game that night playing basketball. So there were circumstances like that 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 we weren't used to. But but our schools really kept in mind what we talked about. Our student athletes didn't need to hear how hard this was. They didn't need to know how much work it was to juggle the games, officials, schedules, facilities. Our our student athletes have been through enough. And, And I was really proud of our schools because all I was reading from, from our coaches and athletic directors was, we're just glad we have the opportunity. We're glad we're getting to play. We love seeing the smiles on the student athletes' faces that they're back out doing what they love to do and what we love watching them do. So I really just, I didn't want to see or hear, oh, this is going to be impossible. We can't do it. It's too much for us to take on. And I'm really, really proud of our school personnel because that they didn't say that at all. And they didn't, they may have felt it, but they kept that to themselves and kept student athletes first to make it happen for them, which is the promise that we made them. Uh, and, and, and the true and the true vein of, of education, right? I mean, kids first. So that, that yeah. it was awesome to see. So again, kudos to to you and all the member schools for for doing that. I want to shift gears a little bit. You put out your your message from the commissioner, and, and I, I enjoyed reading those. It you know keeps you up to date with what's going on in the southern section there, and and a couple of your recent ones. Um, you know, you you talk about you know, who we are and who we aren't. And, and, you know, I, I, I want to just kind of go through that real quick because you talk about who you are being an educational based institution, uh, you know, providing opportunities for young men and, and women. And, and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, uh, and who you're not. And, and that part really struck me uh, because, you know, you obviously felt compelled to say that message. So take us through that and, and, and kind of what led you to, to that point. I really had that feeling way back when I began as commissioner, and this is my 11th year now, but I thought it was very important to try to outline for people what education-based athletics is, the fact that we're the only ones that do it, and the fact that it isn't always about the next level. It isn't about preparing students for college scholarships in athletics or professional contracts. So many of our student-athletes, this high, high, high majority of them are not going to play beyond high school. And yet sometimes I feel that the attention is only paid to those who will. And we're certainly proud of them. My gosh, we have 
some of the greatest athletes this nation has ever produced that have come from Southern section schools in a wide variety of sports. And they've been successful in professional sports, Olympic sports, you name it. And, and we have a great history and tradition of outstanding student athletes from our schools, but they're a small, small percentage. And I just think it's really important to remember that we're, we're an education-based program. We're using sports as a way to teach students life lessons. We're using the classroom outside the building to learn about teamwork, hard work, perseverance, relying on your, on your neighbor and your friend, you know, putting aside your, your racial differences or cultural differences or language barriers or socioeconomic differences. You put all those aside when you're on a high school sports team and you go out there as a group of young men and young women and you try to achieve goals together. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the language you speak as primary language or how much money your family has or doesn't have. It's, it's about that journey and it's about that bonding that you get uh, being part of that. And, and you just don't find that anywhere else. You don't find that in math class. You don't find that in science class. And so we're just really important to, to let people know, and especially when we didn't have our sports programs functioning, how important education-based athletics is in developing young people and teaching them the lessons they need to have to make them better adults. And so it, it just, I thought is important to remind everyone who we are and what our mission is. And while we'll never back down from being proud of those outstanding student athletes that go on from our high schools, they are not the majority by a long shot. And, right. uh, right. and, and we're, we're about that majority uh, as well. Yeah. And in your most recent message, you know, I really liked that You kind of touched back on your days at, at Long Beach Wilson and uh, the alma mater there. And you, yeah. you quoted a couple of the water polo, polo players there from the, the article there in the 562.org, uh, which is, Mike and JJ do a phenomenal job with that website. And, um, you know, there was one note in there that you, you talked about kind of being, um, you know, the, 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 the town team, right. Or, or the community team. And, and there was a mention of, you know, a guy that, you know, a player who maybe transferred in and, and things of that. And, and it really got me thinking about transfers. It seems as though, and just seeing the, the information that, that Tom sends out that, the transfers are, are down as a, on, as a whole. Is that accurate? And um, however, you know, being in, in the baseball world where I'm at, where, you know, that's where my focus is, it seems as though transfers are up uh, when it comes to baseball, but as a whole, they're down, which is, which is an encouraging sign. Well, there's a couple of thoughts. First of all, there's about 800,000 student athletes in the state of California. In a typical year, uh, there might be 15 to 16,000 transfers. And that includes all of them. That includes moving your address from one location to another. So it's a very, very small percentage, maybe one to 2% of the total number of student athletes that actually transfer schools. But you would think that it's, it's much higher than that. It's rampant. It's everywhere. And that's truly not the case when you look at the numbers. But those student athletes that are more, if you want to call them high profile or, or garner the most attention, obviously get attention when it comes to transferring schools and, and people do follow that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm an unusual guy, maybe in a way. I mean, I, I, I'm very proud of coming from Long Beach and I, I'm a guy that both my parents, my sister, my wife and myself all attended and graduated from the same high school. So it, it's just uh, brought me back to why I even got into high school coaching and, and became a, a social studies teacher and a coach and athletic director because my high school experience was, was excellent. And what was so great about it was 
who we were with and who we played with and who we were teammates and classmates with. And I sometimes wonder in this day and age, when I see student athletes bouncing around from school to school to school, you know, what are they getting out of that? Are, are they missing out on, on some of that uh, really important part of your development? It's just not the answer to just cut and run. You know, it's not working out exactly how I want, so I need to go somewhere else. I, I just don't know that that's the best lesson to, to be teaching young people. And, and it speaks to loyalty. I think a lot of our coaches, and I've spoken about this, you know, they, they preach loyalty the entire time to their student athletes from the moment they come in as ninth graders. You stay loyal to this program. You do what we say. It's going to work for you. And then, uh, you know, a senior student athlete will transfer in. And all of a sudden, that young person who spent three years kind of paying their dues and waiting for their opportunity gets brushed aside by the new arrival who takes their place. Now, that's a coach's decision. Okay, but you preach loyalty. You're teaching loyalty. And yet you don't show it at all times when you have the opportunity to show it. So I, I worry about our young people. I worry about the lessons about persevering, sticking with something. You know, if they're showing the loyalty and the trust uh, towards their schools and their programs, that loyalty and trust needs to be returned to those student athletes. And I think sometimes, you know, we have, we have programs that simply it's not like that. I don't know that it's the high majority of those programs. I think, again, they may get more attention than others. I'm sure there's tons of programs out there that are more like, what I experienced myself or what I was trying to connect to even today with my former high school. And uh, those are the important values and the core beliefs that we have about education-based athletics. It's about, you know, being together and, and forming those bonds and being with people that you uh, have paid some dues with, so to speak, who you invested in versus people that maybe aren't in that same boat. And, and again, I go back to the, the example of the just the, the baseball championships last spring. We saw that, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of community teams, if you will, brought home the hardware <laughs> in those championships, which was awesome to see because you see the celebration and you see exactly how much that means to those players and to those coaches and to the fans and the community at large, right? It does. And whether it's this community-based team or it is a team of, of students that may have some transfers on their team and so forth, it does matter. Uh, it's a great part of our job to be able to see the celebrations. And uh, as long as that's the case, obviously, then we know we have something very special. It does matter. And uh, I learned something very quickly uh, at one school that I was at, my second one at Los Alamitos. I was having a discussion with their very successful football coach when I got over there. And uh, he pointed up to some banners in the gym. There were three straight football championships there. And at the time, Los Alamitos thought that they maybe didn't belong in Division One football anymore. And I was saying to the coach, I can't believe that. You're Division One. you're Division One. And he looked up at the banners. He said, do you see those three banners? One said Division Three. one said Division Two. I think the other one said Division Two. And he said, nobody cares. They're CIF Southern Section Championship banners. It doesn't matter what division number goes with them. And he's right about that. I see that all the time. It doesn't matter in the division that you're in. What we've hopefully done is create divisions that are competitive that you have a chance and that lots of teams have a chance to win which makes it really fun and then the the one that does emerge victorious at the end they really feel like they've been through a journey they've been tested they've come through that test and now they get to celebrate so uh i think you know that that proves itself and plays out all the time let's shift gears a little bit to a little more baseball specific stuff last year there was you know the, the first year of the regional championships and i know again that's run by cif state uh, it's not a southern section uh, championship but obviously you have some input you have some you're, you're in some conversations with the, those uh state people what what 
can you take away from the first year of the regional championship? Obviously it was later in the year, given the timing because of COVID uh, and everything else, but you know, it seems as though it's going to take place again this year, uh, you know, with CIF Southern section ending at the end of May there uh, in 22, this will probably, I'm assuming just kick in right after that. What, what, what do you, what, what do you, what can you tell us about that experience? Is it something that, you know, was it deemed a success? Was it, you know, somewhere in between the success and a failure? Uh, what, what do you got for us? Well, the standard of what was successful or not, obviously was different all of last year and even before that. So I think just the fact that it was able to happen, that it did get accomplished, that, that there was uh, the regionals in both baseball and softball this year, even going all the way to June 26. I think you have to say that it was successful. Some teams chose not to go, and that's certainly fine. That's within their rights. And and having them so late, we understood that completely. Uh, coming up, and it, it always was when we moved our sports calendars to try to make them more in line with our school calendars. You know, so many of our schools getting out of school in the middle of May, late May, early June. This coming year, we'll have our Southern Section Championships finished the weekend before Memorial Weekend. So certainly uh, some of our schools that want to go on that maybe wouldn't have gone last year may consider to, to go ahead and participate in the regionals because it will work with them still in school. It will work with, with a different format, a more quote normal calendar. So I think it was, it was interesting to see it play out. You know, we had some teams that, that again, uh, really wanted to have that experience, wanted to keep playing and good for them. And they went out and had a chance to do it. Uh, I think we can build on those regionals for both baseball and softball going forward and make them better as we, as we get them more established. So in the very first year, there was a lot to think about, and it did get done. And I think in looking back, uh, that's probably good enough to say the first year was successful, but it can get better, and I'm sure it will as we go forward. Well, certainly under the circumstances, like you said, I think the fact that simply the fact that it took place, is you can deem that a success, right? And, and obviously the natural follow-up question is, is, is this a, a first step towards an ultimately a state championship, something we discussed you know, both in person and the last time you were on the podcast with me. Well, I would think that that, that would be a natural progression. Uh, you need a few years here to to settle this format in and, and see if it is working for our schools first. And if so, then I, I could see no reason why we wouldn't look to expand it into a state tournament uh, for baseball. That would be incredible. And like I said, I'm sure softball would follow suit and do it together with both sports. Uh, that would probably be something that would really be be special. And there's a lot of formats and ways to do it. If you're having people travel as far as they may have to travel for something like that, it may be set up in a different way. But I think it's important for us and our schools uh, first and, more, and foremost that we look at, at possibilities and opportunities for young people. That's what we're about. And the more ways that we can offer opportunities for student athletes to, to be successful and enjoy being part of education-based athletics, we're going to keep doing that. So I love about this job. I mean, on a daily basis, it's just, what can we do better? I think we do a lot of really good things, but we're never going to be done. We're never finished with trying to improve, with trying to be better than we are today. And uh, that's a real motivating thing for me. It's, it's something that I've really take every day about this journey we're on and, and how we can make it better for young people. And so there's, a lot has been made by just in conversation with coaches about, you know, a new rule change. Um, I don't know if you call it a rule change, but a new change in the way that games are being played or, or the number of games played. And um, can you take us through what that, what that change is, um, you know, exactly how that impacts teams moving forward? 
Are you referring to the maximum number of contests? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once baseball and softball became CIF regional sports, then everyone in every section is put on a maximum contest limit. So basketball, soccer, football, all the different sports that are regional or state championship sports have a uniform maximum contest limit number. So baseball and softball haven't been dealing with that until this year. And now it's 28 maximum contests. Every game counts as a game. If you play in a tournament and you play five games in the tournament, all five will count towards your total of 28. In the past, as you know, we had different ways. If you were in a tournament, played five games, it only counted as two of the maximum amount of 20, which was the old number. You could play double headers and count them as one game against your maximum of 20. You could do that twice. Uh, that has all gone away, but then a bigger number. It's not 20, it's 28, but now it's game for game. You play a doubleheader, it's two games. You play the five games in a tournament, it's five games. And that's about the, the number they've used for, for the other sports. Baseball coaches, I think all the years that I was in a 16 league, when I was in Long Beach in the Moore League, we would play 27. That was our maximum. Two five-game tournaments, a doubleheader, and then the 15 league games. That was 27. I know... Uh, in seven-team leagues or eight-team leagues, sometimes they play less league games, so then they have more tournaments to play and so forth. And I think the most you ever could get up to is about 31. So this 28 is probably about the right number, and uh, and our, our schools will have to go forward this year with that. And uh, it's something new for baseball and softball. So just to be clear, though, that does not include any postseason play, and correct? Correct. Regular okay. season. And, and does that does that have an impact on 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 postseason play at all, or 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 does that impact teams? You, you hear obviously you're a former baseball coach. You you you're very familiar with the sport and the intricacies of it. And you know a lot of guys are saying, well, wow, you know my schedule is impossible to put together now, and I can't do this and I can't do that. I'm used to doing this. I'm used to doing that. I mean, is it is it simply much ado about nothing, or is it more of more of just Hey, you know, let's let's get in line with this and let's get it sorted out. And once you get comfortable with it, moving into year two, you're going to be fine. Well, I, I would think so. I mean, like I said, typically the way it would always work is the first two weeks of the regular season, you had a time to play a, a five-game tournament, throw a double header in there, and then you were ready to start league play. Usually, league play starts about two weeks after the baseball regular season starts. So, and then you're into league play, and then find an Easter tournament, spring break tournament somewhere, play five more games in there. And there was your schedule. I mean, they, again, if you were a six team league and you had 15 league games, that was pretty much the, the typical schedule back, back when, uh, you know, we didn't have a, a 28 maximum limit. So, you know, I guess I'm, I'm kind of not sure about why it is any more difficult with the 28 versus the old formula based 20, because you still have the same time frame. And you still, and you actually can have two scrimmages now. Uh, it used to be only one. You can have two interscholastic scrimmages if you want to do that. So um, I would hope there's enough flexibility to make these work and get the 28 games maximum, plus a couple scrimmages before we head off to postseason. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've heard is just, you know, obviously you talk about the five games in the first two weeks, right? I, it's a lot of guys saying, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm giving up five games in two weeks. You know, and then I've got my league schedule where it's, you know, 15, 18 games, whatever it is, you know, now all of a sudden I have five games left for the rest of the season. So I think it's more of the management of the schedule, right? I think that's where it might take some adjusting. Well, maybe so. Like I said, it was, it seemed like it's a pretty 
clear formula either way. You had to hopefully get a good test in with a preseason tournament, hopefully play up to five games and, you know, typically about 10 days, you know, you'd start on a Friday, that tournament would end on the Saturday, you know, it'd be up to that Saturday, get a double header in there on a Tuesday or Wednesday maybe, and then start your first league game on a Friday, you know, so it, it, and then, you know, you somewhere in your league season, you're going to have a break when, when schools and districts are off and you'd fit in a tournament into that time time frame and then come back and finish up your league play all the way to the end of the regular season. And, and, and in that format, again, you would get, you could easily get 27, 28 games done and, and, uh, and fit within this number. So I don't know, like, like you said, it's the first year, maybe there are going to be some problems with it and some issues with it. We'll see how they play out. Yeah. I think, I don't know that problems or issues is the right way to describe it. Like, you know, I, I may have, I may have said that, I think it's more of, kind of the unfamiliarity of it, right? It's, it's okay. We've got to adjust and juggle. I don't want to play the five games in, in 10 days. I want to play three. And it's like, okay, okay. I mean, that, that, you know, schedule it however you want to schedule it. And so one last thing, commissioner, why God, and it's something that, that we discussed last time. And, you know, you talked about the quality partnership that the CIF Southern section has with the LA Dodgers and, you know, the championships there, but, you know, I keep going back to that, that experience that, that, you know, those finals there at Goodwin field, even at Blair field were, were, just something else is is there any thought or consideration to that and, and again you know obviously I, I I'm fully aware of the partnership with the Dodgers and and how kind they are uh, with the use of Dodger Stadium for CIF Southern section but there's something to be said about a packed house at, at Goodwin Field or at Blair Field with you know with the with the title on the line particularly you know late in the game like we saw a couple of those games well you know it's interesting and I don't mean to digress here but I, I was as a coach fortunate enough to be in two championship finals one was a Dodger Stadium and one was a Blair Field. And both experiences were incredible experiences. I mean, to be at Dodger Stadium, we won the game one to nothing in the bottom of the ninth. At Blair Field, we lost the game three to two when our tying runner was thrown out at the plate to end the game in the top of the seventh. So, I mean, you know, I was in two fabulous championship games that I will carry with me forever in the two different locations. They were both really special. I mean, you're right about the Blair experience. That place, I, I don't know if I've ever seen it the same as I saw with the night that we played there in the finals, but then to be in Dodger stadium and play an exciting game there and, and, and win at the bottom of the ninth was, was a, a thrill too. So, you know, our, our issue is we want to provide the best championship experience we can for our student athletes with what we're facing. We used to play at angel stadium a lot. We don't get much cooperation from them anymore. They really aren't interested in having us there. That's disappointing. Uh, the Dodgers have been great and we've gone there when we can and when it fits when it doesn't, then again, we've had great relationships with Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, you know, using those facilities. UC Riverside has been great uh, to let us uh, have their championships there. So it, I wish I could say every year, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. But I think each year kind of presents itself as to different issues and different situations. So we have reached out to Dodger Stadium for the 2022 season because we are aware of the dates and that that would be the place that there are potential dates there. But uh, again, we'll we'll talk with them more. This isn't the best time to talk to them as they wrap up the regular season and get ready for postseason. But, you know, we'll we'll work with them to see if it's a possibility. And if it's not, then again, I, I don't think uh, we're 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 you know doing a disservice when we play at a Cal State Fullerton or a Blair Field or a UC Riverside or any of those places where they're it, it's the product on the field. It's it's you know, when you get there in those games, it's the quality of those games that no matter where they're played, uh, 
you know, hopefully that's a great championship experience. Yeah, there were there were some definitely some quality games in the championships this spring. That's for sure. Commissioner yeah. Lagarde, again, I can't thank you enough for making time. I know you're incredibly busy. I hope that we can do this again potentially in the spring and just kind of get a little update from you there. Uh, but again, thanks a bunch for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Well, my pleasure, Les. Happy to talk with you. As I said, love talking sports with you and uh, happy to do it again whenever you'd like me to come back. So uh, happy to do that. Good luck to you. Stay well, stay safe. Uh, glad you're enjoying and being allowed to enjoy everything that you like to be involved in. And we're going to try to keep this on track and keep going forward uh, as, as we need to do, no matter what it means. And, and that's, uh, that's just keeping student athletes first. Uh, again, well, kudos to you and your team, Commissioner Wagon. I sincerely mean that you guys have done a phenomenal job this past 18 months, not just that these past 18 months, but especially these past 18 months. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Your kind words are truly appreciated. Thank you. I'd like to thank CIF Southern Section Commissioner Rob Wygod for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news, event, and ranking information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.